Good evening, everyone. Uh, for those that are following on Facebook Live, if you're looking at the notes, uh, you'll, they're the same notes as last week. So however you dug them up last week, uh, that's where we is. So for those of you that are here, I have changed the notes the littlest bit, but we are on point three of letter B, first page, well, actually point four. Uh, that's where we'll start, but uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. You have been so good to us in so many ways, and as we're studying the gospel, we recognize truly not only were we sinners, we all seem to admit that, but sin has so corrupted us that we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. So we thank you that Christ did die to pay the wage of sin for us after he had lived the perfect life that none of us could live and the only one that would please you. We thank you that he rose again and all that uh, is implied in that. So as we consider some of the things that are implied, open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you have for us because that corruption, as we saw last week, is still an issue for us and there's only one way to overcome it. Thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so uh, number four, the new power, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Uh, now, as born-again believers, uh, this is something that we're accustomed to. Uh, yeah, we know that, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think maybe it's time to take a look at what does the Scripture say. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, we ended last week, well, we covered verses 11 to 13, but uh, we ended with Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. That's actually an important verse after you've looked at chapter 7. Chapter 7, Paul explains the frustration, knowing that he, as a new creature, wanted to do what God wanted to do, but he had no ability in and of himself as a new creature to perform that because there is a law of sin in his members. So uh, knowing that he's going to fall in sin, yeah, that's how he concludes verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God. As a new creature, I want to do, and with all of my oomph, that's what I'm going to do, what God wants me to do. But he goes on to say, but with my flesh, in other words, because of this body that I live in, I'm a slave to the law of sin. I am going to have those times where I'm going to fail. And when does that end? When you see Jesus, not before. And, and why would I need to say that? Because if we go to Wednesday nights and we examine the green letters, one of the things that people have struggled with in going through the green letters, is we believe that we are not that bad. And so therefore, we should be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ just because we read the Bible, hopefully a few times. We believe that our intentions, we never really meant to get so upset with that person that was doing 35 miles an hour in the 45 mile an hour zone. They could have moved over to the slow lane. I mean, we never really meant to do that just because it happened. 
we don't think we're that bad. Romans 7 is trying to help us to see, look, I know that in me that is in this body, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Okay? Um, So as we're looking at this, we have to understand the implications of the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, and it it's for a reason. Okay, so let's take a look here. Now, in most of your, if you're in the King James, uh, possibly the New King James, therefore there is now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I, I kind of told you a little bit about that last week. But what does it mean to walk according to the flesh and according to the Spirit? Most of us will look at Galatians chapter 5, 16, where it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, what Paul is saying there is, be filled with the Spirit. Be empowered. Now, the IFCA definition, my uh, Bible college definition, uh, most evangelicals that are of our ilk will say, uh, to be controlled by the Spirit. You know, God has no desire to control you. Uh, if he did, then we wouldn't have to worry about the election free will issue. Okay? Because he would just make you get saved and you wouldn't have a choice. Now, there is one that would like to control you. His name is Lucifer. Uh, he does it through the means of the weaknesses of the flesh, the worldly philosophies, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He wants to control your thinking. He wants to control uh, your ideas as far as uh, sexual morality or immorality, all of those things. That's why you see it in the world all over the place where, man, how can these people believe these lies? My body, my choice. No, it isn't. There's another person inside of you. And you're not affecting, quote-unquote, your body. You're affecting their body. See what I'm saying? I mean, that's really a simple concept. So we lie to ourselves and say, well, it's just a clump of cells. I'm sorry. We're worried about turtle eggs on the beaches in Florida because they're just a bunch of cells. Just a clump of cells. And they are more important than babies in the womb. We're worried about a little bit of bacteria on Mars because it would prove that there's life someplace else. Can I tell you something? There is life someplace else. It's called heaven. Okay? Um, Really, when all these UFO sightings and, and the guy that came out just a few weeks ago, the government has alien technology. And dead aliens. They've been doing experiments on them for years. This guy is some high-ranking official in the Air Force. And I'm sure for some Christians, it's kind of like, whoa, dude, there's aliens out there? Can I tell you something? God made the sun and the moon as lights by day, by night. Why did he make the stars? Signs and seasons. What are you saying, Al? I'm telling you that God's plan revolves around this planet. There's not another one out there. Well, how do you know? Well, I don't. 
Could he have another plan for another planet? I imagine. But think about who God is and what he's like. If he had another planet where there was life on it, um, he would give them a test to see whether or not they would trust him or in their own reason. And they would fall. And then they would need a savior. How many sons does God have? Well, maybe he hasn't told us about two or three of them. Oh, so you're a Mormon. Uh, you know, I, there, there's just a lot of things to take into account there. And do I believe that aliens are part of the end time stuff? They sure could be. That would be a good way to explain the disappearance of millions of people. All of a sudden, bang. Now, is that going to happen? I don't know. God hasn't told us. But somehow I think people are going to notice when a bunch of us disappear, especially if they show up at church on Sunday. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So uh, let's move on here. Um, When we're talking about walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit, let me show you in the next uh, nine verses, ten verses, that he's saying, if you're walking according to the uh, flesh, you're not saved. If you're walking according to the Spirit, you're saved. That's all that means. Let's start in uh, verse 2. Because the Spirit's law of life, where? In Christ Jesus. Where's that? Where saved people dwell. The Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free or delivered you from the law of sin and death. Now, in America, we don't hold law in a, a very high regard in the sense that the speed limit sign means what? I was picking on John Pegg one day in Sunday school, and I told him, I go, the speed limit sign is minimum, isn't it? I mean, if it's 45, that's the lowest you're supposed to be going on that street. And he said, where are you going to be driving tomorrow? I think he was looking for an easy ticket. I don't know. Um, but uh, we don't hold the law in high regard. If you will... We are a lawless people. No, that's those people out there. Be careful, because I'm sure every one of us probably hedges our bets on some things. Okay? And then on top of that, how many commandments did God give us? Well, we have the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we got the 600 and how many ever Levitical laws. But uh, how many laws are uh, down on paper in the United States? Can we say there's more than you'll know about? And you're probably guilty of breaking some of them. Uh, I'm looking forward to next year, uh, waiting to see if I'm going to be a felon or I'll be okay. Because we change the laws after the fact, and something that was legal one minute all of a sudden becomes illegal. And, oh, we'll do something so that you're not a felon, something illegal. We'll do something unconstitutional so that you won't be a felon. It's kind of like, according to the Constitution, any law that is unconstitutional is null and void before the court ever even decides that it's unconstitutional. It doesn't have to be obeyed. Hmm, interesting. Think about that. That might be part of our next series. We'll see. Let's move on here. So we have the law of sin. When God talks about a law, he's talking about, boom, it is in concrete. There is no if, and, or but about it. Uh, let me give you an example. Law of gravity. 
get up there on the tower, step off, what's going to happen? You, you're going to die. You're going to end up in this tree over here, okay? And you probably, if, if the tree breaks your fall, it'll probably break a few more things on top of that. If it doesn't break your fall, you're really going to be in a lot of pain for a very short period of time, and then you're going to go see Jesus. See, the law of gravity works. End of subject. Well, the law of the flesh works also, or if you will, the law of sin in the flesh works also. For an unbeliever, it works in the way that uh, if sin says jump, uh, the unbeliever says how high, okay? If the law says that's what you want, I mean, if the law of sin says that's what you want, they go, yeah, I want some of that. That's how it works. Now, it'll allow for a society to think they're doing kind of okay because I've never robbed a bank. I've never killed anybody. See what I'm saying? But it's still the master. Now, you've been saved. It's not your master. You legally have been taken away from sin as a master. You now have a new master. Problem is, the law of sin is still in you. And we, because we need time to grow up, again, the complete green letters, we are going to believe some of the lies that sin and the world tell us, and then we're going to fall on our face because it's a law. When people sin, what does James say? Everyone uh, is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts. Okay? We love blaming other people for our sin. My, My wife is convinced that the only reason why people get married is so they have somebody to blame. I'm not sure what gave her that idea, but uh, uh, the reality is we don't like taking the blame ourselves. But he tells us we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust. In other words, I want it. Wait a minute. Who wants it? It's no longer I who sin, Romans chapter 7, but sin that dwells in me. There's still a part of me that wants it, that likes it. In fact, For some sins, we could say, as believers, we're idolaters, or if you will, adulterers. James chapter 4, verse 3, I think it is. Okay, friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God. What's friendship with the world? What's in the world? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So here you are going after the things that your body wants, your eyes want, uh, your ego wants, You have just become an enemy of God. But wait a minute, you're saved. Exactly. Because the law of sin. How do you overcome that? Verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Without the spirit, you can't overcome it. Chapter 7 gives us the example. Chapter 8 gives us the uh, uh, solution. So it goes on to say, what the law could not do in, uh, since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So think with me for just a minute. <coughs> knowing that we do walk in the flesh from time to time, obviously we're not accomplishing or fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, right? But since Christ did 
fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, and his righteousness is imputed to the believer. Now the believer, the one who walks according to the Spirit, not in the Spirit, walks according to the Spirit. He's spiritual. He's saved. He's born again. That imputed righteousness for him, God looks at him and says, that guy's fulfilled the law. Now, it's not as though God doesn't see where we fail. But that's another discussion. Right now we're talking about saved people, unsaved people. Uh, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. Now all he's saying here is your, your basic instinct as a fleshly person is your thinking flesh. Now when I say fleshly, again I mean unsaved. I'm not talking about a Christian who has his bouts with the flesh. Uh, uh, going back to Galatians 5, 16 and 17, uh, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you want to. Again, new creature, wants to please God. The only way he's able is to overcome the flesh through the Spirit. So uh, the unsaved person, what is their, uh, their mental uh, priority list? Flesh, 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 flesh. The saved person, what is in their priority list? Because again, we deal with the flesh, the Spirit's there. We want to please God. The, the new creature hates sin, wants to please God. So that's basically what it's saying. Verse 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. So because we're walking according to the Spirit, we have life, and we have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. So that's all part of the fact that we're uh, the mindset on the Spirit. Verse 7, For the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Now, I recognize the believer has the law of sin in his flesh, and he will continue to have his failures. But the unbeliever can never walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Uh, when we go to Romans chapter 3, uh, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. Together they have all gone out of the way. They uh, have become unprofitable. Uh, you know, I like money terms. I don't love money. I like money. It serves a purpose. And the concept of profitable is where you have more after you've paid all the bills, right? Well, no one that's unsaved is profitable from God's perspective. They bring nothing to the table, and they are actually a detriment in every way. And then it goes on to say, there is none that does good, no, not one. Why? Because sin has so corrupted them that even the good that we look at and say, you know, that guy's a nice guy. He's a good guy. God's sitting there saying, Bleh. it's it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Or as Isaiah 55, uh, the good or uh, his good works, maybe it's 64, I can't remember right now, but his good works are like filthy rags. And the concept of the filthy rag is uh, a used menstrual rag. 
Okay? That's what God thinks of good works of unbelievers. I imagine he might say something similar about our good works that are not done in the Spirit because they're all going to burn up anyway, as Pastor was talking about this morning. So let's go on. Verse 8. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Notice, he says it right there. If you're born again, you got the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not born again. So therefore, you're walking according to the flesh. That is the contrast in these first 10 verses or so. So verse 10, Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So if you're saved, you still can't do anything that pleases God in the power of the flesh. But because the spirit of uh, because Christ is in you, you have the spirit of life, and now you can do something that's pleasing to God. And if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So, uh, so again, if you're saved, the same Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, he will give the capacity, the capability, the power to live in a way that's pleasing to God. That's why he says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit. In Colossians 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you examine all of those uh, parallel passages, you will see that when a person is empowered by the Spirit... They live the way God wants them to live. They're ultimately going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And uh, when, they, uh, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the things they've done while they're filled with the Spirit go through as gold, silver, and precious stone. Now, we still have to deal with the flesh when we walk in the flesh, not walk according to, walk in the flesh, the things that we do, even if we're teaching a Sunday school class, sharing the Bible with people, um, going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And, and really, to walk in the flesh just means, I can do this. That's really about all it means. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, you've got to humble yourself, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Uh, so the denial of self is, I can't do it. You take up your cross. Okay, Lord, whatever you got for me, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing it. And when you have that humility, when you're believing the gospel, even after salvation, how did you come to faith? I can't do it. I need him. How do you serve God in a way that's pleasing to him? I can't do it. I need him. The Spirit completes those works uh, that are uh, necessary there. So uh, that is basically 8, 1 to 13. Now, let me just read a couple more verses for you. I guess I only did through 11. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Why not? Because we don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is basically a, hey, you're a Christian, so start acting like it. Start living like it. Uh, because if you continue to live the way you lived before, 
Well, chances are you don't got it, and ultimately you're going to die. It's not going to bring anything good out of it. It goes on to say, all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Okay, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, if you're walking according to the Spirit, do you think the Spirit's involved in the leading? Obviously. Okay? So if you're saved, you're being led by the Spirit. Now, you may not always listen. You may not always follow very well. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God isn't leading. But He will be working on your willingness to listen at times. Okay? So it goes on, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. Here's that new relationship, number two on your outline there. Abba, Father. Uh, Abba basically means daddy. What kind of relationship does a kid have when he's calling dad, daddy? Normally, when they're calling dad, daddy, they're young, and daddy is you know, like one step down from superhero if he isn't one step above it. That's adoration. That's appreciation. That's like, wow, I got the best dad in the world. Okay? And how important are dads? Let me just throw this in here. Uh, Lynn asked me years ago, because she didn't appreciate my dad so much, and there were lots of reasons not to appreciate him. And I said, honey, you need to understand it is better to have a bad dad than no dad at all. That's just the fact of the matter. Dads are that important. Uh, statistics. If a husband and wife stay together and raise their kids, the chances of their kids going to heaven is somewhere, I mean, uh, to prison, sorry about that, going to prison is somewhere around 12%. Uh, maybe it's less than that. Um, if a mom raises the kids by herself, the chances of the kids going to uh, prison is somewhere near 60%. If the dad raises the kids by himself, the chances of the kids going to prison is like 15%. Okay? That's how important dads are. That relationship is really important. And one of the things that we need to grasp is verse uh, 16 here. Or 15, but uh, we received the spirit of adoption. We became part of the family. Uh, we've been given all the rights and privileges of a member of the family as well as responsibilities. And uh, we cry out, Daddy, to God the Father. Uh, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may be also be glorified with him. Now, in the context, what's, what suffering are we experiencing? Chapter 6, you're a new creature. You've been baptized into Christ's death, burial, resurrection, to walk in newness of life. Chapter 7, yeah, that newness of life thing, sometimes it's pretty difficult, right? But there's no condemnation. What suffering have we suffered in the context? The battle against sin that still lives, doesn't own, isn't our master, but still lives in us. If you're not suffering that battle, you're not a son, you're not going to be a co-heir. 
Okay? Uh, a lot of times this verse is quoted to say, you know, you've got to be suffering persecution. If anyone desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. Give God time, okay? We'll get there. Uh, just look at what the country is doing today, okay? Uh, but the suffering so far in context has been the battle against sin. And like I say, if you're not suffering, chances are maybe you're not saved. But any believer, this is going to be an ongoing battle. And though it may get easier and we may overcome some of the things that used to hold us in their little chains, the reality is, is all we have to do is get our mind out of sync with God and it's real easy to jump right back into some of that stuff. Okay? Um, now notice, in verse uh, 16, it says, uh, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How does He do that? Uh, do, do you have dreams at night where the Spirit of God talks to you? Uh, visions uh, of the Spirit of God dancing in your head, uh, letting you know that you're just so special. He does that because as you're struggling with sin, first of all, you have a struggle. Second of all, you have the Spirit of God in you, and you overcome from time to time. And then you overcome more and more. Assurance is based on behavior. We like to lead people to Christ, bring them to 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And they walk away thinking, I don't know nothing. I know this guy's told me a bunch of stuff more than I can even remember right now. And, and he wants me to go to church on Sunday too. What's with that? He doesn't know anything. John has actually written to believers that are mature enough to know, here's four tests. If you're doing these things, you can know you're born again. So assurance comes from behavior. If you're lacking assurance in your salvation, well, go back and con uh, uh, con uh, consider what this context says, what First John says, those four little tests. There might be five in there. I can never find the fifth one. And maybe my eyes are just blind to it. Maybe it's not there. But uh, loving the brethren, uh, at least making an effort to obey God's commands. Okay, what are his commands? Loving the brethren and loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I don't know about you, but that one always kind of gets me. It's kind of like, you know, I really love me. Do I love God with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind? I have my moments. But I know I love me more, more than I should. Okay? Um, another one is you're going to overcome by faith. Overcome what? Sin, the world, the flesh. Okay, faith. Yeah, I had that when I first got saved. Hopefully it's grown a little bit and we're seeing the overcoming. Um, but when you're younger in your faith, overcoming? Oh, I don't know about you, but it was still a struggle for years after I got saved. So assurance is really something that comes along as we walk with God. And then, uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, we'll finish there for the time being. A new power. Now you'll notice, a new power for living. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus delivers me from the law of sin and death. So uh, that power uh, helps me overcome the law of sin in my members. Romans fifteen thirteen says... 
Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I fail, what's my hope? Well, I know that Jesus has already died for that sin, so I'm looking forward to the new body, uh, the new uh, mindset where I'm going to know as I am known. Okay, um, so that's living. First uh, Corinthians one eighteen says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." Again, the gospel isn't something you just believe when you get saved. It's the same mindset where I can't do it. I need him. I'm in essence believing the gospel and therefore uh, can overcome. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, inability if you will. Boast in my inability that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Second uh, Corinthians 13.4 For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So you can see a lot of verses on the power of God. You can look up a few more there. How about a new power within the word? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So uh, within the word, we see the gospel has power. Uh, or how about 2 Corinthians 4, 7? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And within the context, we're going to see that we have the, the treasure of the knowledge of God, of the gospel, uh, and that affects how we live so that we see, uh, that people see that we belong to him. How about for witnessing? Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. As I have told you in the past, I believe God's outreach program is you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, 1 Peter 3.15. And then you're going to go and live in such a way that people are going to see you, they're going to notice the difference, and some are going to come and ask you the question, at which point you are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. So, should you learn how to share the gospel? Sure. Do you want to go and do door-to-door evangelism? There's a few strange people. Okay? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not knocking door-to-door. I'm just saying most people don't want to do that. God's expectation is that you're going to live in such a way that people are going to ask you questions. And if that's the case, then how many doors do you need to knock on? And again, that's not putting knocking on the doors in a bad place. It's just for those of you that are not that kind of person, don't worry about it. Live it. God will give you the divine appointments. Now, the person that wants to go knocking on doors, good, have at it, enjoy. Uh, you'll, 
you may say some things that plant seeds, that water seeds. You might have a divine appointment where you get to see someone come to know Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, but I'll tell you that what God is going to be doing in you through your visitation program is probably going to be more efficient, more effective, better than you uh, what what you're going to do in other people's lives. And, and all that means is door-to-door evangelism is not really super effective. Okay? But relationships with people where they see you living different, that's effective. So you're going to be a witness. Are you going to be a good witness or a bad witness? Uh, you can figure that one out as you walk with the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 33 of Acts. And with great power the apostles gave witnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace, a great grace was upon them all. Now notice, what did they do? They did miracles. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says they gave great witness of the resurrection. In other words, they were telling people, I saw the Lord, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> okay? Uh, how about uh, chapter 6, verse 8? And uh, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, uh, Stephen, you might remember, was a deacon. But what was one of the qualifications? Full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So he was available and God used him. Who's another one of the deacons that uh, same thing happened? Philip. Okay? When we think of our deacons, we like to think of them as the guys that are either paying the bills or uh, doing a building project or something like that. And we have several guys that are really great servants. Okay? But the qualifications for a deacon in Acts chapter 6, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And what were they going to be doing? Waiting on tables. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Romans 1.16, we've already talked about. First Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Notice, though con- confirming signs and wonders may have been a part, he never talks about it. It was the way they lived that brought power to the word uh, through the Spirit. <coughs> so, a new power for witnessing. That brings us to number five, a new confidence. So notice, this deals with the concept of the security of the believer. In 1 Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, who keeps people saved? God does. Okay, when you study the concept of the security of the believer from a biblical perspective, theologically, it is impossible for a person to be able to lose their salvation. Either Jesus died for all of their sins, knowing what they all were beforehand, and therefore they're all covered, or, well, that would make God a liar, I guess, if he didn't. The idea that you can do something this week that would cause you to lose your salvation and you have to go and get it again. I don't know about you, but the scariest passage in Scripture for me is Hebrews chapter 6, where if you've gotten a a little bit of a clue of salvation, what it's really all about, and you sit there and say, 
Eh, you know, I, I really like it, but you guys are getting persecuted. I think I'm going to go back to the temple. It is impossible to bring that person back to this point where they could get saved. They didn't lose their salvation. They walked away from it when they understood. You're on your way to hell, bud. Hey, this is the only way. Yeah, but you're being persecuted. Or, yeah, but I'm going to have to give up smoking weed. Yeah, but they walk away. They can't come back. That's scary as far as I'm concerned. Okay? Uh, and I think that's the best interpretation of Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 6 there. A lot of people like to say the person was saved. They walked away. Well, if that's the case, then they can't come back. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, it says. They can't come back. And most of the churches that believe you can lose your salvation, you can get it back every Sunday. You just got to walk forward and speak in tongues or, or, or. Okay? Uh, whole point being is when we talk theologically from a biblical perspective, it's impossible. Uh, let me give you another verse in Hebrews. By offering himself up, he has forever perfected those that are saved. Okay, think about that. September 6, 1981, this little arrogant sinner comes to know Jesus as his Savior. From God's perspective, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to his account, and he was forever, I think that's a long time, perfected. From God's perspective, everything has been taken care of. Now, how did I live? Oh, <laughs> that's another story altogether. Uh, far from perfect. I've gotten close now, but no, I'm, I'm joking just to get my wife's response there. <laughs> um, but from God's perspective, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All because of the work of Christ. Okay, uh, so let's take a look here. The word hope, elpis, expectation. It can be used abstractly or concretely. Confidence, faith, hope. Well, let's take a look at a few verses. We won't read them all for you, but we'll uh, take a look at a few of them here. Uh, Acts 24, there it is. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. So that was one of the things that Paul looked forward and said, yeah, God says this is going to happen. I believe it. Uh, Romans uh, 5, 2. I, I'm keeping my uh, Bible open to Romans, figuring we'll be running all over the place there. 5, 2. We also have <coughs> obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Catch that? Uh, one of the reasons why we ought to be happy as Christians is we're looking forward to being glorified. We're looking forward to, we have confidence that that is going to happen. Verse 5, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So one of the things that ought to make us look forward to it is God has already put his love in us for him and for our neighbor. And what does the Bible teach are the, the main commands? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And as since he's already put it in your hearts, it's going to come into fruition in your behavior 
and you're going to know <laughs> I got that look to look forward to. It's, it's, it's going to happen to me. Now, we have our moments in the flesh, but the more you walk with him, the more you overcome those moments, and you have that confidence. Uh, Romans 12, 12. Let me shoot up there real quick. I have so many verses that I couldn't fit them all on my five or six pages of uh, notes here. Uh, Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Okay, rejoice in hope. Christians ought to be, for the most part, happy people. Don't be drunk with wine. What happens when you get drunk with wine? A lot of people get a little happy, right? Some happier than others. Some people that get drunk get mean. My, my dad was good on beer. As soon as he had a shot of whiskey, he was just a mean, brawling person, okay? Um, when I come out of anesthesia, I tell jokes. I'm not sure that I'm all there or that I'm getting the jokes right, but I laugh like crazy because they're funny to me. I imagine I might be a little bit like that if I was drunk. But don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, why does he say that? How does a person act when they're drunk? You get to see what's in their heart. How does a person act when they're filled with the Spirit? You get to see what's in their heart. What's in their heart? A love for God, a love for God's Word, a love for God's people, a love for people in general. That We already showed that the Spirit of God's already put that in there. And when you're filled with the Spirit, what does it look like in the day-to-day life? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always, submitting yourselves one to another. I'm in the... Uh, truck the other day going over to Lowe's and I've got Cameron in there and I'm singing an old hymn. And he goes, what are you singing? And uh, it was, uh, what was the one I was singing today, babe? About your anchor holding. You know, be sure that your anchor holds. And uh, uh, I'm singing that song to myself. Why? I got a joy in my heart. And he goes, what's it about? He goes, you need to stop singing that. I go, why? And basically, I think he might have wanted to sing also, but he didn't know that song. So I said, well, do you know Jesus loves me? He didn't know that song. I have to talk to his parents. Uh, and of course, I didn't know any of the songs he knows. So, But uh, that ought to be a normal way of life for us. As we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to have joy. Now, some people get hung up on the concept of happiness and I recognize if I get a million dollars, I'm going to be happy for as long as that million dollars lasts uh, and is circumstantial. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, can I tell you something? I'm happy. Okay? Now, I'm filled with the Spirit. I can be happy even though my truck broke down on the way to work and I had to walk two and a half miles with my flat feet. Okay? Point being is it's not based on circumstances. It's based on where my orientation is. When I'm filled with the Spirit... I can be happy regardless, okay? That, that's the concept there. And, and there's a few more verses there in Romans that you uh, can see. So uh, let's move back to our uh, outline here. 
Uh, you can see there's a bunch of verses there. I'll let you look those up. The word confidence is parhesia, uh, all outspokenness. And I, I know some of you uh, probably think uh, that about me. Frankness, bluntness, uh, those are a couple of words that at times uh, describe me. Uh, publicity, assurance, that's what I want you to get. Assurance, boldness, boldness of speech, confidence. Uh, let's look at a couple of verses again. Romans again, chapter 8, and uh, verse, where am I? There I is. Uh, verse 13 through 18. Uh, well, I've already read 13 and following, but uh, notice here, uh, those that are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Okay, we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry out to Daddy, Father. Uh, the Spirit testifies to our spirit. Uh, we're children. We're struggling. We're suffering with sin in our lives. And we know that that helps us understand, hey, not only am I a son, but I'm an heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a part of all that God is going to give to him later on. And then verse 18 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. I don't know about you, but you get a, a glimpse of heaven and recognize, okay, in this life, we have people that represent us in Congress that don't represent us. We have uh, people serving in the administration that you gotta wonder not whether or not they're capable, but how corrupt are they really? How far have they sold us down the river? Um, and with that in mind, it would be easy to get all, Ugh. but I've got a glimpse of heaven. I'm not worried about those people. I'll be honest with you, and, and most of you know, during COVID, uh, few of us, well, all, all of the pastoral staff, uh, we weren't afraid to share what we thought. You may not have agreed with us. We were right. Uh, no, just stop that. Uh, but uh, the, the reality is, is we weren't afraid. And, and we saw where fear was an issue. Shouldn't be. Why? Okay, let's get COVID. Let's die from COVID. What's going to happen? We're going to wake up in heaven with a glorified body. I don't know about you. I'm getting old enough where that's just not an issue. Okay? Uh, and again, it's confidence. Not in me. Not in anything I can do. But in what God has said and that it's going to happen. If you want to get technical, the confidence is based on faith in what He has said. So there's this new confidence. And therefore... We can be all outspoken, frank, blunt, have public assurance and boldness of speech, etc. So we have this new confidence. Uh, before we get out of that, uh, if you're not in Romans chapter 8, turn back to Romans chapter 8. In verses 18 through uh, uh, 30, it basically uh, deals with the whole concept of not only are we suffering, but Sin has so affected everything in the world that uh, even the world, the, the planet, nature, all of those things is reacting in such a way that it's looking forward to our glorification. 
Uh, let me see. Let, I'm going to start in about verse 28. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are uh, called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, the, the word foreknow is to know ahead of time. When did he know? Well, according to 1 Peter, he knew from before the foundations of the world. Uh, and based on his foreknowledge, he chose us. Hmm. Okay. So those whom he foreknow, he also predestined. Now, predestined only deals with what God is doing in a Christian's life here. Okay? A lot of people want to use the word predestined to say that his choosing of us predestined us to heaven and predestined others to hell. No, predestined is only ever used dealing with this uh, concept that we see right here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son. Uh, why is, does life have so many difficulties after you're saved? Because God is going to make you like Jesus Christ. And the work that he began in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can you stop that work? Nah, you might be able to slow it down because of your hard-heartedness, hard-headedness from time to time. But it wasn't slowed down in the sense that God knew about that. And he's just going to slow the process down so that you get a few more knocks on that hard heart, hard head, and figure it out. You're not going any slower than he already knew. That process, what we call sanctification, God has predestined us. He has predetermined that anyone who is born again is going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, we see where we, we're looking into a mirror darkly, okay? And we're being changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God using the Word of God. The mirror is the Word of God. When you look into the mirror of the Word of God, you should see or should be looking for two things. Number one, what's Jesus like? Number two, where am I missing that? Okay? Because the Word is going to point out our sin, but it's also going to be giving us the picture of what we're supposed to be looking at so that we can become like it. Okay? And it's the Spirit of God that enlightens our, our eyes to it and then changes us from glory to glory as we look into the mirror. So why do we want you to read the Word of God? <laughs> well, there's your explanation. But also on top of that, the things that you think about is the thing that you become like. My stepfather was also a drunk. Yeah, my mom had a, a way of picking him, okay? <laughs> but... Uh, uh, he was a, he was a nice guy when he wasn't drunk, but uh, he was a drunk. And and over the years, from age eight to age sixteen, dinner time was a terrible time. I learned how to inhale food. There was no chewing. There was just and get up and get out of there as quick as possible because drunk stepfather was going to blame me for anything that went wrong in the world that day, uh, or that week, or that month. You know, and uh, so it was a bad time. I became an angry young man, very bitter. If I, if I would talk about it, I would start trembling like that, not in fear, but in just absolute anger. Uh, why? Because I thought about it all the time, and I became bitter about it. And as I grew older, I became like it. 
That's why Colossians says, set your mind on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Why? So that the more you see him, the more you're going to think about him, the more you're going to become like him. And the Spirit of God is going to be doing the work, but you got to be seeing him. If you're not seeing him, then you know, chances are you're not looking in the right place. Okay? All right. So uh, it goes on here. Uh, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he'd be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Notice in God's mind, these are all past tensed participles. They're already done. And why? Because God can see the end from the beginning. And though we're presently in the process, he already sees it finished because it's going to happen. Okay? And then it goes on. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Now, I don't think this is talking so much about the here and now. Though Jesus said, if you ask anything believing. Now, don't ask God to win the lottery. Okay? And you can believe all you want. And you may win. You may not appreciate the winnings afterwards because it comes with all kinds of other problems. But... God may deem you worthy to suffer those problems, okay? Uh, But anything believing, you know what the context is of that verse? Casting a mountain into the sea. I'm not exactly sure what purpose that would serve, but if you believe it, it's going to happen. He said it. Well, if casting a mountain into the sea is something worthy to talk about, what can you believe God for? I think anything pretty much means anything that's going to help you with your walk with Him, uh, help you be the, the witness that you're supposed to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to challenge your faith a little bit here. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how far we can take that. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, most of us won't take it far enough. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Well, we already know that Satan does all the time, right? He's at the throne 24 hours a day, even though there's no time there, uh, constantly accusing the brethren. Uh, We see an example of that back in, I think it's uh, Zechariah, where he brings Joshua the high priest with dirty robes. And he points the finger and accuses. And God says, hey, Lucifer, shut up. Hey, guys, give this guy a clean robe. Joshua, your sins are forgiven. Now go and do what you're supposed to be doing. That, that's the picture there, okay? Uh, whole point being is we have an advocate, a lawyer, a defense lawyer with the Father. Uh, that's what 1 John 2, 2 says. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. <coughs> Excuse me. It goes on to say, uh, so who can bring in an accusation, one that's going to stick? God is the one who justifies. We already know from the previous uh, four chapters that he has done that. Christ uh, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, okay, suffering, can trials, difficulties, anguish. I'm so overladen with the burden. Can that separate us from the love of Christ? Persecution. By, by the way, this is the first mention of the word in the chapter. And what are, what's going to make us co-heirs if we suffer with him? We relate suffering to persecution in the context. Persecution isn't even talked about until verse uh, 35 here. Uh, or famine, lack of food, nakedness, danger, sword, all of the difficulties that would come about because of an, an uh, incoming army that was stripping the land. But as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, if there's an enemy army that's coming in and you're struggling with persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, you are like a sheep for the slaughter. Under those circumstances, that may be God's way of reaching a lost people around you by the way you're going to respond to those things. But notice verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than victorious, notice, through him who loved us. In 1 John chapter 4 or 5, it talks about us being overcoming the world. And it says, how do we overcome? Our faith. That's all it says, our faith. And here we see we're more than victorious through him who loved us. So our faith is in the Word of God, in God, He's going to get us through it. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, uh, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the confidence, the hope. God is going to bring this salvation to its end and nothing is going to separate me from God's love. When we were down in Brazil, uh, the Sil campus is where the school was for the kids. It was in Cuiabá, so we would bring our kids up there each day. And most of the teachers believed that one could lose their salvation. And you would bring up a verse like this, and they would say, Oh, nothing can separate you from God's love, but you can certainly walk away from it. I'm like, okay, we want to use semantics. Yeah, you can walk away from it. What does that tell me about you? They left us to prove that they were not one of us because if they were of us, they certainly would have remained. But they're leaving made manifest. Whole point being is, yeah, you could walk away, but that would be proof that you weren't saved in the first place because those that are in Christ Jesus, there's nothing, nothing. Angels, demons, life, that includes your stupid decisions. Death, and it doesn't matter what pandemic is involved in that situation, okay? You are secure. You can have confidence in Christ. Why? In this chapter, because you have the Spirit of God in you. You're born again. There's overcoming that needs to happen, but it will happen. Wow. Long-winded pastor. 
So with that in mind, next week we will be starting on letter C. So if you'd like to leave your notes here, that's fine. I'm just going to put them out again next week. If you take them with you, there will still be some here next week because you're going to clean out your Bible and lose them. So with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the assurance that we can have that we belong to you because of the work of the Spirit, the Spirit given because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of your throne. Thank you for the implications that we're considering here uh, last week, tonight, and uh, from here on out as we look at your word. Pray that you would open our hearts and minds and that we may be able to take advantage of each and everything by faith in your Son. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.